Hello, hello. Welcome back to Stories Lived, Stories Told for another mini-sode. Hi, I'm Abby, your fellow traveler into the world of CMM. Now, obviously, I am familiar enough and passionate enough about CMM to create this podcast, but I found that in my conversations that I've had in developing this podcast and collaborating with the CMM Institute and learning more about the community that surrounds this theory, I realized that there is still much to learn. I have to admit that I felt a little bit of imposter syndrome coming on because I'm surrounded by people who have been using CMM and talking and thinking about CMM for much longer than I have. But I recognize that there really is no need for that. And I'm trying to remind myself of that always because the truth is that CMM itself is and has been evolving since the 1970s. The theory itself is even learning as it goes. So surely we can let ourselves do the same. Over the course of this podcast, my real hope is that we can let more and more aspects of CMM reveal themselves to us as they come up in our lives. CMM is just full of new things to learn. This makes me so excited for the rest of our episodes because I think it is impossible to run out of things to talk about with this theory. Everyone that I have met talks about it a little differently. And that is part of what makes it so special. Like Dr. Barbara McKay said in our last episode, it's about being CMM-ish. There's not a strict one-dimensional understanding or application of the theory, which we shouldn't take for granted because there are theories like that, that are rigid and unchanging, and of course those have their place in academia or wherever, but CMM is able to be so expansive because it is the way it is. Everybody talks about CMM differently, not, not because the theory itself is vastly different or unrecognizable, but because the context of people's lives that the theory enters into is so vastly different. And that's what we're going to really talk about today is this context. It's why we can hear about Dr. McKay using CMM in her therapy practice, but also explore all these other fields where CMM is being used in countless creative ways. Today in this mini-sode, we are going to continue talking about four models that are used in CMM. Last time, we talked about the loop model, right? So stories lived, unknown stories, untold stories, unheard stories, untellable stories, storytelling, and stories told. That model really gets at the complexity of our stories and encourages us not to take them at face value, but to ask questions and dig deeper to see what exists beyond the stories that we tell. This model started in CMM as something much simpler. Really, it was just about acknowledging the tension between the two ends of the spectrum, right? Stories lived and stories told and that tension that existed there, which of course is true. But in adding the layers of all those stories that we don't see is what makes it so much richer. Today, we're moving on to the DAISY model, though. This model does something similar to the loop model because it's also about establishing some context, putting together all the pieces that make up a single utterance or person or situation. So 
Think about drawing a daisy on a piece of paper. Unless you are some incredible artist, then you probably drew a circle and a bunch of petals around it, right? Well, that's the daisy model. Real simple. In the daisy model, the circle or the center of the daisy is what is seen. For example, if I was going to make a daisy model around myself, then I would put Abby in the center of the daisy. You can also have a daisy center around an interaction, a conversation, or even a single statement. Whatever the center of the daisy is, all the petals of the daisy then represent these kind of unseen parts. They represent all the factors that influence the center. That could include previous conversations or beliefs or other people that have had influence that might have led up to that center being what it is. So if I, Abby, am the center of the daisy, then some of the petals might be my family of origin or the friends that I had growing up, uh, the education I got, the religion I grew up with, the messages that I got about things like my gender or my intelligence my talents, my goals, things I should value, the list goes on and on. In her book, Compassionate Communicating Because Moments Matter, Kim Pierce explains that the goal of the DAISY model is to better understand the larger system of which the event and participants are a part and to experience mystery, compassion, and humility about the complexity of our social worlds. So, Obviously, we have the visual of the daisy with all the petals representing the various layers and elements because that's visually effective and easy enough to draw out. But I want to think about this model a little deeper. I see it like this. Think of a flower, a real flower this time, a daisy. All you see is the head of the flower, the part with the petals, the stem, maybe some leaves, but there's so much that we don't see. All that exists within the stem of the flower, within the leaves, or beneath the surface and the roots, the head of the flower does not exist on its own, right? It's part of a much bigger system working to keep it alive. The sun, the water, the soil, the weeds that crowd it out, the the roots that reach way down into the earth, the insects that pollinate it or come to eat the leaves even, all of it is needed to maintain the flower. The same way that we can't take a flower, or any kind of plant for that matter, at face value is the same reason we can't take our interactions with others at face value. If we could, then it wouldn't be so hard for me to keep plants alive, right? There's skill involved there because you have to have a better understanding of all of these inner working systems. That's why some people are good at tending to gardens or taking care of flowers and other plants. Because those are the people that recognize the care that the plants require and have put in the time to understand it and know what the plant needs. We should be taking care of our interactions, of our social world, and the people in them with just as much attention and tenderness as we do in taking care of plants. After all, we are all just living things, right? We need a lot of the same things. When I talked to Dr. Barbara McKay, I asked her to break down the DAISY model in her own words. Here's how she explains it. The DAISY model, used to call it the atomic model. The DAISY model. The DAISY model, it's primarily an analytic tool for inviting clients into a, a more complex understanding of their relationships. The DAISY model is about the socialized self. Usually in the center, we've got a speech act. So I might say, Women need to stand up. 
that could be my speech act. And then each of the petals in the DAISY model tries to show an influential voice that puts me in a position where I make that speech act. In my instance, it would be something like one petal would definitely be the women in my family that didn't have a voice. So my speech act is influenced by that. Another one would be the men in my family who didn't think women's voices were very important. Another one would be the working class community that was built on very traditional lines. Another one would be the fact that I only had female cousins and there were no boys around, so we you know had to stand up. Another one would be maybe my educational experiences where I could see, certainly at university, the male tutors privileging male voices. Another one could be the discourses of gender that have changed over time, but still are unequal. So all of those ideas would be in my petals. Another one could be friends. You know, what do my female friends think? And so all of those voices that I have available to me, my internal community of voices, put me in a position where I make this speech act. So that's one way of thinking of the DAISY model. The thing that I like to add on to the DAISY model is when I make my speech act, I have an audience in mind. So it might not be for the people in front of me. It could be for people who are not there, but I'm standing up for or speaking on their behalf. Mm -hmm. So I'm metaphorically on my soapbox and I'm shouting for all women who have never had the courage to shout for themselves. I don't know any of them, but I'm doing it. So my audience is all women or my audience could be uh, my husband or my son who I want to make sure are sensitive about gender in their own families. They might actually be in the room, but some of the audiences are not in the room. Some of them are not even around anymore. All of the women in my families, I want them to know I'm doing this too. So the DAISY model is about the socialized self. It helps us to understand our moral obligations in relation to our speech acts, and it helps us to identify the potential audiences for our speech acts and the level of emotion that we bring with them. Dr. McKay gets at something really important here. The DAISY model is a great tool because we can use it in places like therapy, but also in our own lives, as she described with the example centered around herself. What the DAISY model can do when we apply it, even in passing to our everyday interactions, is to make those interactions richer by giving more context to the people in front of us and coloring in a picture that maybe used to be more black and white. We can apply the DAISY model to ourselves and understand ourselves better, but we can also apply it to other people, right? Fill in the petals that we know. And like Kim said, leave room for the mystery and humility of recognizing that there are also petals that we don't know affecting our conversation partners. The best thing that we can do for ourselves and our social worlds is to keep looking through the lens of the DAISY model. Keep it as a tool in our back pocket, right? When a conversation isn't going the way you expected. Step back, pull out your daisy model, and try to fill in the gaps. Metaphorically, of course. I mean, unless you really want to carry a daisy model around with you, which, hey, I won't stop you. Again, this model isn't just an academic tool to explain the theory. It has real practical uses in our lives. Like we did with the loop model, spend some time this week, sit down, draw out a daisy model for something in your life. I think it's especially good for looking back on the interactions that didn't go the way we wanted 
or expected or interactions that didn't make us feel good, that didn't inspire connection, but rather disconnection. It's those moments where our expectations didn't align with reality or what we wanted to create didn't align with what we actually created or there's those discrepancies. We can better understand those discrepancies, those gaps by using the DAISY model. So look back on your interactions using the DAISY model to see what happened. Fill in the blanks and find more answers in the context. And let me tell you, we love context. Next time, we're going to get into another model used by CMM and hopefully come up with some more tools to add to our already growing CMM tool belt. Thanks for joining me today on Stories Live, Stories Told. I'll see you next time.